today we wrap up our series with even more manga madness. We examine many of the books that came out of the mighty manga boom. One in particular that dominated the 90s. Do you remember Battle Chasers? We revisit Joe Mad's classic today. Also, we look back again for untold secrets of Heroes Reborn, discussing exactly what was coming in the original back half of year one, as well as year two, before Marvel's tragic bankruptcy derailed the entire movement. We do all that and much, much more on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making the comics for 37 years now. I have been consuming the comics for far, far longer than that, picking them up when I was seven years old off of creaky spinner racks that just immediately take me back. I have a couple of spinner racks in my house. They're exciting. I, I still put my comic books on those spinner racks, uh, reader copies. You know, I'm not putting my nine eights and my nine seven. I, I know that uh, whenever people see the, the the photos that I share on my spinner rack, uh, the 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 grading you know uh, component that that we've we've got etched into our brain comes out. We, we, that that should be in a bag and board. Okay, they weren't in bags and boards when I was picking them up in 1974 at seven years of age. Skateboarding into the liquor store, into the 7-Eleven, into the Foodland, into the U Totem, into all the different markets and drugstores that I consume comics. They weren't in back and bags and boards. They were in ratchet condition, but it didn't matter. You wanted to read it more so than you wanted to collect it. It was later, you know, when I was 12 years old, meeting, you know, uh, uh, comic stores for the first time. Yes, I met comic stores. I met them as as listings in the yellow page. And I was like, I got to get to that comic store. What? And some of you have, have heard about the first one I went into was a, I, I, I matched up the name with the wrong uh, vocation, and I was in a a uh, sex shop instead of a uh, comic book store because because this this store had fantasy in its name as well. But eventually, I met comic books that were super minty, fresh, and in mylar bags with double backing boards, and that kind of stuff is cool. And 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 I have those too, but they're just they're boxed in a you know room temperature. But but they're those copies, my nice minty fresh. Some graded, some slabbed. They're not on my spinner rack. The spinner rack is full of 70s and 80s goodness, the kind of stuff that I loved. And 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 so since 1974, I mean, what we are talking, you know, many, many, many years, 40, you know, 47 years of of consuming comic books. And I've never looked back. I've never ever divorced myself from comics. They've been part of my life. And now for so many of us, they're part of our everyday life because they are the streaming shows. They are the big blockbuster movies. They are the, uh, uh, you know, movies on, on d- different cable channels, uh, coming, coming directly to many of your streaming services beyond just being series. There, there are movies that are launching. I mean, who can forget? And maybe we shall all should, and, and I'm not going to be nice to this one. It wasn't it was tremendously disappointing, but who can forget Wonder Woman 84 debuting, you know, Christmas season in, in, uh, in 2020, it, it, it's a big budget, 200 million comic book film that came into our eyeballs via our, you know, TVs and streaming devices exclusively because that was pandemic hell. Anyway, t-shirts, video games, toys, action figures, Funkos, plushies, the superhero world just dominates now in a way that I've never 
could possibly imagine. And I talk about it here each and every week. Thank you for joining me. We have a great show today. I'm really excited about today's show. We're going to wrap up our manga portion and then move on to a a subject that I did not know had more left in it, but it does. It's an element of of Heroes Reborn. It's an aftermath of sort, uh, a what if of sorts that I'm going to share with you that I came across in yet another magazine filed away in, in, in many of my boxes that I have uh, in, in, in my storage collection. So, so we're going to kick it off by wrapping up manga, uh, the manga madness, the manga manifesto, and then we're going to kick into the Heroes Reborn aftermath and whatever else falls in between in this uh, crazy stream of consciousness uh, stream that you have chosen willingly to listen to. So, so the manga manifesto, the manga madness that I covered in the previous part of this, and you should really listen to this if you haven't listened to M- manga manifesto part one. It will walk you through when when uh, Japanese comics and Japanese cartoons, manga and anime, uh, burst through in 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 the West, in the United States, to to Western audiences, to kids like me. Uh, they were cartoons first that where I encountered them, and 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 so many of you, because I love this is in real time. Liefeld, you didn't mention this. Liefeld, you didn't mention that. I can't mention all of your favorites on top of everything that I've listed. It just, I'm not going to always do this. But but as a kid, yes, I saw, you know, Battleship Yamamoto. I saw Macross. I saw uh, Robotech um, a- along with Giant Robot, Giant Robot, Johnny Sacco and his Giant Robot. Then the cartoon version of that ro- uh, Giant Robo, which I always thought was totally cool. Giant Robo. Uh, Ultraman, Simba the White Lion, Battle of the Planets, which was a re- repackaging of Gotchaman. And, and, and that's honestly, Saban with the Power Rangers did exactly what they did with Battle of the Planets. He took existing Japanese uh, show material from, from shows and footage that they had over there. And then he hired the American actors and did the, the new wraparounds to incorporate with all the action footage that, 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 that he had purchased especially right right there at the launch. Battle of the Planets, Gotcha Man, got wraparounds where they had an R2-D2 droid called Seven Zark 7 that would give you intros and outros and, and, and you know, middle of the show, it would kind of catch you up. Uh, so, so, so they blended that with, with Western animation to give you a greater basis for how they wanted you to digest what they were going to give you, which was the Gotcha Man cartoons from Japanese and if you, uh, from Japan. And if you've never uh, experienced Battle of the Planets or Gotcha Man, again, highest possible uh, recommendation. Uh, You know, always five, fighting as one. Oh my gosh, just, they called them G-Force here in the States when it was marketed as Battle of the Planets. Great score, great cartoons. You'll just have the best time. And again, they have to mention Gotcha Man was rebooted in animation with a much more adult R-rated animation and, and some of the best animated, you know, stylings I've ever seen in the mid nineties. And when I got those, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is the new next level of action storytelling. The characterization was heightened. So while the cartoons and the anime were rolling over on UHF channels or wherever you could find them, maybe a Saturday afternoon film festival that was on one of the local stations here that, 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 you know, uh, you know, wanted to give all of the, uh, like the, the Macross and the Robotech stuff. Um, the, uh, the, The uh, what what followed on its heels was uh, was the the manga stuff 
that, again, I started to encounter, which was Akira, Dominion, uh, Appleseed, Ghost in the Shell. All this stuff started just punching through in the 80s. Now, I got the, I got the legit Japanese imports, but of course, then publishers, independent publishers named Eclipse, Dark Horse, Viz, they started giving you renditions of these. Again, much the same as the Battle of the Planets model, as the Power Rangers model. Uh, Dark Horse, Eclipse, the, they started hiring American artists, Western arts. Art Adams was doing covers to their compilations of Appleseed. I already had the Appleseed um, comic books in the format that I loved in the, in the chunky, you know, manga, the legit import collections. And uh, but they started rebooting them and re, re, reissuing them, and and so Western audiences were now getting these via Western publishers as well as getting them as imports. So all of this stuff started just driving everybody, you know, bonkers. The people who were fans of this stuff couldn't get enough. Whether it was Fist of North Stars, I mentioned that Eric Larson turned me on to, uh, you know, the later stuff that I would encounter, like like uh, in in the late eighties, Berserk, Bastard, uh, and and we're going to come back. We're going to circle back to Bastard. Well. Those stories, those characters, those designs, those worlds were inspirational. They gave me entirely different escape valves than the ones that I was used to with Marvel and DC. So I was consuming all of them, seeing how much differently they presented their storytelling, their animation. And and I immediately moved, as did so many of my peers, to apply that in, into my work. And and it was it was a bunch of us who was applying these uh, as 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 I've said earlier in in the previous episode aesthetic get re- get get ready for another over overindulgence of that term and as far as we're talking about terms I I have uh, once again done a a, a common a common mistake I've been making uh, since I was a kid since I first saw it I say Yamamoto when it's spaceship or battleship Yamato but the the, the funny thing about spaceship Yamato is it is uh, produced uh, and created by um, uh, one of one of the writers has Yamamoto Yamamoto, but I always say spaceship Yamamoto. Yeah, it's ba- battleship Yamato, and it was one of the earliest ones I saw. Again, over over in Japan, it was 1974, 1975. So by the time I see it in 78, 77, 78, I mean it's 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 already cycled through over in Japan. But again, it's new to me. But whether it was the anime or the manga. We are assimilating so much of what we like, costume designs. I mean, uh, again, I, I was back uh, digging through some old interviews, finding again m- myself going on record. I know Eric Larson does as, as well about Fist of North Star, Appleseed, uh, all of the works of Shiro. I mean, really, uh, uh, Bastard, all of these works being such such a huge influence on us. And And again, remember... If you followed along for all the years on this show, and I've talked to you about my indulgences with Atlas Comics and with uh, all, all different lineups from DC, their, their sci-fi lineup, their fantasy lineup, you know, when Marvel went into sorcery and barbarians and more licensed books with those Micronauts or, or Star Wars or ROM, what we're doing is we're, we're chasing new worlds. We're chasing new experiences. I bought gold key comics, you know, I tried on every independent publisher that I could experience when I was a kid. Manga was just another version of that with, with characters and designs that were unlike any of the capes and spandex that I was getting through my, you know, mainstream Marvel and DC superhero fixes. 
And a character like a Cable or Shatterstar, they are mired in in the manga influence, mashing up fantasy and sci-fi tech and and medieval weaponry. And I've again always been very honest about that. I mean, you know, like I've said, Spielberg, Lucas, the greats, they will talk openly because it's fun for them. They don't they don't hide from their influences because those influences are near and dear to them and they inspired them to do something near and dear to them in their own work. Whether it was Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and World War II, you know, uh, uh, dogfights inspiring, you know, the entirety and the Bible to boot. And of course, you know, uh, you know, Japanese films and, 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 and works like Hidden Fortress that, that influenced George Lucas. He's been talking about those honestly since the late 70s when he would do his interviews with Starlog, with, you know, all the different uh, magazines that I've shared with you guys. Influences are so important. They, they can be really inspirational. If you're not aspiring to something and if you're not looking back, because uh, we're going to get to that at the Heroes Reborn section, if you're not looking back, you really can't, um, sometimes you can't move forward. You have to confront uh, stuff that you love and influences and, and refine them into something new in order to maybe get to that next level or, or make that next breakthrough. And so manga hit, we picked it up. Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, we all, all my, entire, my entire peer group started adapting it and I've told you how it transformed our pages and I really feel like we were the first generation to really put that Eastern uh, influence into the work. And again, look no further than Cable. When people say, why were you putting, putting Cable in different outfits all the time? I was trying on different, you know, if, if he's really a military guy, he can wear different flak jackets, different armaments, shoulder pads, knee pads, obviously different arrays of pouches, guns. And I was just following so much of what I liked in in so much of Shiro's work, he was probably the biggest in terms of gear influence on my work. So we were the first of the generation to siphon so much Eastern stuff and put it into our work so that you could dig it. But who really took it to the next level is, uh, I spoke of him at the, at, and teased at the last, last episode, uh, Joe Madiera, Joe Madiera, sorry, Joe, he, he very wisely started signing his work, Joe Mad, because, you know, like Liefeld, he was hearing that, that name Butcher uh, and, and mispronunciations of his own name constantly. So Joe Mad became his moniker. Well, Joe Mad had taken X-Men back to the top of the charts. I can't imagine an a, a artist that was hotter, that had more excitement, that was uh, representing the new generation at the time in 1997, uh, more so than Joe Madden. There was a lot of them. There was J. Scott Campbell. There was Michael Turner. There was Dave Finch. A lot of these guys, they were buzzing, but none of them was putting the X-Men at the top of the charts and none of them was getting the fever uh, around Joe Mad. Uh, I, I mean, he, he just, from Age of Apocalypse, when they rebooted that and his work was at the forefront, especially in all the imagery, all the promotions that they sold us. And then the, and then his issues were the ones that were the uh, issues that seem to deliver the most for the audience, you know, it only just continued to elevate him. But I'm going to share with you in his own words. So Joe Mad, who was finding his own style, and it was it was more more so than what we were doing in terms of costumes and influence of, of page design and storytelling. He was attempting to draw like the 
animated artists and the manga artists that gave you Yamato and uh, and and Gotcha Man and Bastard and Appleseed and Akira. He was trying to do a Western version of Japanese uh, style stylistic drawings, whether it was anime or manga. He says down here. Um, I'm reading for the uh, from his foreword in a collection that we're gonna uh, of, of a of a title that we're gonna discuss uh, pretty heavily here called Battle Chasers. Hardcover came out in 1999, collecting the works of 1998. Uh, Joe Mad writes, the few years that I spent on Uncanny X-Men were extremely important ones. It was there that I hit my stride and developed a style of my own. Up until then, my characters looked like emaciated Art Adams wannabes. Towards the end of my run on the X-Men, however, I was get, it was getting harder and harder to get the pages done. I was getting burnt out on drawing superhero comics. I was aching for something new. Though most of my friends and peers, not to mention common sense, advised me against it, I knew I had to set out on my own. All right. Joe has all of my absolute uh, adoration and respect at the highest level. He knows this. I've seen Joe. He knows how much I admire him and I admire his work. Uh, there has never been a time that I did not think he was special, ab- above a cut above the rest. Fierce, especially given this mindset he could deliver on the page he 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 not only talked the talk he walked the walk and uh but i i teased at the end of the last episode that he performed a sleight of hand and and battle chasers is that sleight of hand and that sleight of hand is convincing everyone that what we were, that, that that what they were watching was the rise of a fantasy comic when indeed it was manga all along in this next paragraph he continues to perform that sleight of hand and move everyone further away and and hopefully today this there's some there's some new dimes that i'm able to drop on you that are certainly undisputed and and you'll be very entertained and you'll see the lengths to which joe was trying to get everyone to look in another direction rather than exactly what he was doing in the next paragraph he says fueled by that burning desire for my childhood to produce a comic based in a dungeons and dragons setting i set out to create battle chasers most people shuddered when I told them about it. Everyone knew fantasy-based comics didn't do well, especially in today's fickle market. Still, I knew I had to give it a shot. If there was ever a time in my career when I could attempt it, it was now. Amazingly, like a dream come true, the book was a hit. Readers embraced battle chasers with open arms. To them, I am eternally grateful. I have, I hope I have shed some light on the inspirations that led to the creation of this book. Hopeful, too, that other aspiring artists out there might find the courage to follow their dreams. He mentions previously. When he developed as a drawer about six paragraphs back, he talks about, um, you know, that he was hugely influenced by Dungeons and Dragons. And he goes on and on and talks about the drawings that he would make from the Dungeons and Dragons characters. Well, uh, I'm telling you right now, he's there's an element of this that he's not being upfront with you on. And that's okay. He knows he's told me to my face. Uh, You know, he's confirmed a lot of the stuff that I'm going to tell you. Battle Chasers on the surface looks manga. I'm sorry, looks, looks on the surface, it looks like fantasy. People with swords, wizards, except then a few pages in, you get a steampunk, you get a steampunk robot. And that steampunk robot resembles a whole lot of mech and tech that is available in the anime world. But he made that successfully into his own Jomad. That is not certainly uh, anything to convict, but it it is cool in that most fantasy, you don't get robots. So now he's kind of doing that sci-tech fantasy. He's he's merging. He's jamming, you know, influences the same way George Lucas put, you know, 
uh, pr- prophets from the Bible in, in regards to how Obi-Wan appeared in the very first Star Wars, looking like Elijah or, or Isaiah wandering in from his sojourn in, in, in the desert with his long, you know, almost Old Testament robes. Looks like he looked like Moses in the Ten Commandments to, you know, the space dark knight, uh, dark samurai of Darth Vader. We've talked about this. Then, then you walk into the canteen and you're in a, you're in a cowboy film. And I mean, there's just all sorts of genre mashups. And it's the first time when I was a kid, when I was nine years old, I'm like, I, I got it. I see what George Lucas is doing here. This is a culmination of all the stuff that I watch on the, on the weekends, on Saturdays, all the different, it's cowboy movies. It's, it's the, the sci-fi serials. It's, you know, it's the Bible. I mean, good God, I came from a, 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 a you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a pastor's kid. So, so I knew that I, I could recognize all the different sourcings and, uh, so you got your steampunk robot, you got your um, girl who gets the big magic gauntlet glove, you've got your uh, wizard, but the key is in the lead character, the star of Battle Chasers. Um, now remember, I've mentioned Bastard, I've mentioned Bastard to you umpteen times, I'm telling you that when I showed everyone the, the I mean, good God, I had 30 plus volumes, more art books, everything regard, regarding Bastard, and when I showed him to people... Uh, like the Pat Lees, the Dan Fragas, the 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 Stephen Platts, this stuff was was getting put on their wall immediately. It was it was all getting, um, you know, uh, put up jar, large eleven by seventeen uh, depictions of uh, of these characters, the, these pages. The the that they would go take the bastard books and they would uh, Xerox them. 11 by 17 Xeroxes on the company machines. And so they, they, they could, you know, tear into that stuff with, with you know, copious, uh, with copious abandonment, um, abandonment in regards to paper and just get reams and reams. And they did, I'd, I'd walk in and literally these guys' individual offices, some of them were out of the bullpen and had individual offices. Uh, I mean, head to toe, 11 by 17, stacked one on the other. I mean, they wallpapered their wall with the bastard imagery. Great um, uh, killer uh, Im- imagery to, to, to really, you know, kind of ignite your senses, give you inspiration when you're drawing. Uh, and so one of the, and my favorite character from Bastard is a character named Gara. It's G-A-R-A. They call him Ninja Master Gera. He is a, like so many people in, in Bastard, the, 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 lead, the lead guy with the long white hair in Bastard, his name, and I've always loved this, Dark Schneider. And in the anime, they call him Dark, Dark Schneider, Dark Schneider. So Schneider was the repairman on One Day at a Time, a, a sitcom that I grew up watching in the 70s. And Schneider was a breakout character. He was kind of like the Fonz of Happy Days. Schneider, when you saw him in One Day at a Time, which was about a single mom and her two daughters, one of which was Valerie Bertinelli, who would go on to marry uh, Eddie Van Halen and have Wolfgang, Wolfgang, uh, their son, who survives Eddie's, you know, legacy. Uh, Schneider was was the, the, the repairman who was always... Um, called in to fix he was always in the apartment he was in every episode he was a and as his popularity grew his presence on the show grew well so so i always thought dark snyder is a funny name for for a lead character in bastard but um gara ninja master gara 
Uh, he's a primary character in Bastard. He is one of the four divine kings, and early on, he switches allegiances to be uh, part of uh, Dark Schneider's crew. And uh, his personality is that he is uh, a, a top-level, you know, combat swordsman, fighter, and uh, he, he was a uh, son of a great ninja and wanted to become a powerful ninja himself. Now, he doesn't look anything like a ninja. If you want to know what Gera looks like, look no further, and drum roll, please. This is a great, big, giant reveal. You can put them side by side. You will not blink. You will not, you will not. Um, you know, on any level whatsoever, uh, do, do anything but go, oh my gosh, they're exact. Uh, the lead character in Battle Chasers is named Garrison. He has short, dark hair. Uh, he looks a little like Garrison Kane, who Joe Mad drew in Deadpool. Uh, so we've, there's also another straddling of the word Garrison, but that's not the big reveal. Um, he has a giant red scarf, a blue outfit. Garrison is the mirror representation of Gera from Bastard. And early on, when everyone's like, hey, you're doing fantasy books, you're doing fantasy books. One day, Jeff Loeb was like, oh, can you believe what... In the, in the offices of Awesome Entertainment, where, where we were both uh, coexisting at the time, Jeff was working for Awesome Entertainment. Uh, I was the co-owner of Awesome Entertainment. Jeff was our you know, publisher and writing several books, and we were admiring Battle Chasers, and he, and he was talking about the fantasy elements. I said, that's straight from the bastard. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's straight from bastard. And he's like, what? Like what? I said, Jeff, this character is right here from here. Blue costume, armaments, knight's armor, a giant red scarf. And, and again, there is no escaping that uh, Gera and Garrison are exactly intended to be the same character, unapologetically, brashly. Uh, the character in, of Gera in Bastard has walked into uh, Battle Chasers. And you, ha- you know how I know this? Loeb then called Joe Mad and said hey Liefeld says this character's you know and Joe Mad said yeah that's why I call him Gareth's son Garrison is a play on the word Garrison because yeah he is from the bastard I totally dig him I wanted to do a version my version of him in Battle Chasers and so you go wow that's awesome you know the minute Joe was asked by Jeff Loeb he immediately acknowledged yeah Garrison is Gera from Bastard. And and once again, th- this is not some kind of sort of uh, maybe comparison. That They are, it is as if Gera, Ninja Master Gera, and Ninja Master Gera, and I, I see you Googling, I, I, I'm, I'm a an audio show, I'm not a visual show, but I can see you Googling right now. And when you Google, and you will get many, many images of Gera from Bastard, uh, you will see the same giant, uh, you know, you will see the, the red uh, uh, scarf. You, <laughs> you, you will see, you will see the, the blue uh, costuming. You will see the haircut. You will see the armament. You will see the sword. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the highest compliment you can possibly give. 
And I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I'm actually looking from at cells from the show. And I mean, it's, I love it. I love when Joe Mad said, it's Gara's son. That's my nod. Garrison is Gara from Bastard, Garrison in Battle Chaser. So Joe Mad was, um, you know, everyone was looking to the left as he was doing what he was doing to the right. He performed a sleight of hand because, you know, there's castles, there's dragons, there's werewolves, there's beasts. So you're thinking, oh, fantasy, fantasy. No, no, Battle Chasers is mired. Even with the special magic girl in the mad in the mighty gauntlet and the wizard, all of these aspects of Battle Chasers, the steampunk robot um, that could have walked out of any, any you know, six different uh manga titles and no this is not a slight please joe mad was able to take this and turn it into a stew a a a a, an elixir of his own because he is next level in regards to how he illustrates and the dynamics of his figures his drawings his faces The, the the what i always said about john byrne i believe joe mad was kind of a john byrne to his own generation everything joe drew looked cool but he was certainly sourcing and he was certainly pulling uh, from all manner of inspiration. And he can tell you Dungeons and Dragons because nowhere, yeah, th- th- this hardcover is, I think, uh, five battle chasers and the story that they did for a heavy metal style book that launched called Frank Frazetta, Frank, um, uh, Frank Frazetta's Fantasy Illustrated, man, Fantasy Illustrated, Na- name of comic stores, name of magazines. Battle Chasers um, had a featurette in there that introduced them, where you were introduced to Gully, and you were introduced to Garrison, and you were introduced to Nolan and Calabretto, um, you know, but this was pulling off many sources. Garrison being, to, to a giant bastard fan, the most obvious, but then the steampunk robot, then the just a lot of the Eastern interpretations, the giant gloves that are so... Um, you know, um, um, mired in, in manga and anime against, against dark Lords castles, you know, moats, dragons. There, there are definitely fantasy elements within this, just as they are in bastard bastard is a fantasy manga, not a sci-fi manga. And so Joe mad puts all of this, including his very dashing, very fetching leading man. I mean, Garrison, uh, is, is much like He's, he's, he's like a fallen, uh, a knight that's been dishonored that's searching for his honor back in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the context of the story in the same way that, you know, Gera in Bastard is a, is a fallen, kind of fallen away from his, his father's, you know, grand uh, uh, status as a grand ninja. So Battle Chasers is to me the best work that Joe Matt has ever done and he has done exceptional work. And Battle Chasers did hit huge, blew up. People like that they hadn't seen anything like this. And what Joe was doing behind the scenes, and if you knew, you knew, and he would immediately go, Yeah, it's Garrison. That's it. You got it. And he's got steampunk robots, and he's got, you know, knights in shining armor and the and, and magic and sorcery and dark lords and dark knights. It's it's phenomenal. It's it's literally the bright shining star of the late 90s comic books. It is the uh the the one that everyone favored but here's the deal nobody very few people saw the manga elements that it was pulling through and they just said oh fantasy fantasy's working again i can do that too i can do that now some were very successful some were um really nice 
uh, something like Mike Waringo's Telos, T-E-L-L-O-S, comes to mind. Very, very nice. I, I don't know that that would have existed without the success of Battle Chasers. But I, I would put to you right now that Battle Chasers single-handedly inspired the entirety of CrossGen's operations. The guys uh, behind CrossGen believed, well, hey, we don't have to be in the superhero business. We can go do the fantasy worlds just like Joe Mad and, uh, and have a giant success just like he did because we can, do, we can do fantasy as well. Except again, once again, the greatest trick Joe ever you know, committed was nobody saw the manga. You didn't ever hear them talk about this. Marco Lessi decided to do all these stories about, you know, rogue knights and, and, and warrior women and, you know, people on horseback, castles, moats, the whole thing, like I'm telling you, but he missed the brilliant, I call it a stew because, you know, when you, you put the carrots in, you put the meat, you put the celery, you know, Great stew takes many elements, takes many ingredients. Joe Mad had those to spare. He was a uh, he was not just doing Dungeons and Dragons. That's not where Garrison comes from. That's not where Caligastro comes from. Uh, Calibretto, sorry, Calibretto. His uh, or as they called him, Bretto, the uh, the the cool steampunk uh, robots. Now I'm going to be honest. You take the steampunk robot and you take Garrison out of Battle Chasers, and I'm not as much of a fan. I I, I don't have the same commitment to to you know the affection for the work because i like you know uh sword you know sword wielding you know uh uh rogue fighters rogue you know rogue knights i love robots and joe ignited in the same way that manga and eastern uh culture had 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 ignited me to make cable and to make shatterstar and even domino's got some some especially when she's wearing her face mask and her uh and, and, and more teched out, more gear. I carried a lot of that over to uh, Youngblood. When, when Youngblood, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I'm really applying so much of what I love about uh, Japanese robots and tech suits to Youngblood, the diehard. Suddenly there's an army of diehards. They're all different shapes, shapes and sizes. That is me ringing the manga and the anime bell. Uh, Shaft and his tech suits and his uh, geared up, Bow and arrows. Those were all very manga inspired. So much of what I was doing at Extreme was 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 mashing all of that up in my own War Child, which predates uh, what was going on with Battle Chasers. Uh, that that I wrote and and Chap Yap illustrated. It was a traditional knight with a cyborg. Stored was the knight's name, and Stone was the cyborg with the giant robot arms and prosthetics and changing limbs. So Battle Chasers is a world that I was amped up for. I already already I had already scratched the surface myself as a publisher, as a creator with Warchild. And and if you can get the original Warchild miniseries, there's a really hard to get trade paperback, but the original miniseries, it is some of the finest work we did at Maximum Press, which was a label that I had within my own Extreme Studios. Chap Yap, John Saval just knocked it all the way out of the park. So I understand taking manga and fantasy elements and smashing them up. No one did them as successfully as Joe Mad, but so many people just focused on the fantasy part and lost sight of the the manga aspects. Like I said, all of CrossGen, Telos, um, there was all manner of different fantasy 
uh, titles that were starting to spin out rapid fire at the, late, at the late 90s. And let me tell you something, not one single one of them was able to scratch the surface and provide the same success on any level in any way, shape, or form that, uh, that, that uh, you know, that Joe Mad did because he was, again, shaping his own influences. Now, a little further down the line, early 2000s, and an extreme alum, I love saying that, Pat Lee had moved back out of Extreme Studios in the mid-90s and gone back to Toronto, back to Canada where he came, and he was uh, starting to you know, do his own version in the late 90s of what he liked about anime and manga. He did, I think, Dark Minds. But what I'm here to talk about is Warlands. Warlands was the most, uh, you know, battle chasers of the battle chasers inspired titles. It wasn't just trying to be fantasy. It was, it did have that, you know, manga element to it. Pat, you know, what, you know, the learner was now the master. He was at the peak of his uh, storytelling and artistic abilities, being able to merge exactly what he saw in his head with, with what he wanted to give you on the page. And Warlands is a book that Pat Lee put put out that was more along the lines of fantasy meets manga, again, where so many other people just um, didn't bring that element into it. They just said, oh, it's time for me to do my version of, and look, I'm pausing and not saying of, because I would say the sword and the sorcerer. I would say. Uh, I, I, I would say, you know, Beastmaster, um, all of the the, the, the explosion, uh, Hawk the Slayer, all of these great 80s, you can put Dragon Slayer in there. You're going to say, but Rob, you didn't say this year. I'm, I'm not going to say a lot of what you want me to say right now. Uh, because for me, the triumvirate of Hawk the Slayer, Sword and the Sorcerer, which starred Lee Horsley of Matt Houston fame prior to him being Matt Houston, film before he got cast, uh, and Beastmaster were the ultimate, like, Fantasy flex. Yes, Lady Hawk is brilliant. Not the same. And uh, I mean, when you got a double-edged sword that fires, like shoots at you, like it did in Sword and the Sorcerer. Sword. There's a lot going on in Sword and Sorcerer. I, I again, it, it, it's not just those were the explosion of fantasy in the '80s. And in terms of those movies, and some of the comic books that came after Battle Chasers were like, you know, visual, like graphic novel representations of those. Again. Joe Mad was dancing to a different beat. There's another book named Soul Saga, uh, which tried to emulate so much of what Joe Mad did uh, that was working uh, along with the one of the colorists that had been working alongside uh, Joe Mad. But it just it was it looked like the you know Soul Saga was you know Fear the Walking Dead to Battle Chasers Walking Dead, which is you know doesn't quite fit, but it's an attempt to explain to you. Like it was the, um, the the lesser spinoff. It was a spinoff that was there to. Now, Soul Saga and Battle Chasers are not connected, but I'm telling you visually and what would be going on in the comics store at the time. Everyone saw that now Stephen Platt was trying to emulate Joe Matt. That was the new um, big game to hunt, and he was doing it. And so he slightly had more manga and anime influenced in there. But the thing about Joe is Joe getting back to what I talked to you about manga and anime in the beginning and what the, the biggest gift that it gave to the people who are inspired by it was the, the focus on movement, motion, action. And that is what Joe Mad understood. You look at his pages, they're like animated cells moving. Soul Saga is all of them 
frozen as granite statues. There is no movement. Everyone is stiff, stiff, stiff. The entire book is stiff. It's colored nice, but it is stiff. It has some of the same armaments. It is drawing off of all the stuff that Stephen had been exposed to when he was on my studio with Bastard and Appleseed and and uh, Fist of Northstar. Now, by this time, Berserk, all the different manga and anime that was crashing. But it had none of the movement, none of the separation, uh, none of the imagination. There is one great Joe Mad cover on Soul Saga that is fantastic that you go, oh, man, I, I would love for this um, to be applied here. Or I'd love to see an entire annual of that. But the bottom line is... Joe Mad was the uh he was the pace horse. He broke out and he tells you, I'm doing Dungeons and Dragons with a big smile on his face. When behind the scenes, he's mashing it all up. He's taking east and west and he's smashing it up. Now, during this time, there was a lot of guys who tried to represent or speak for, or they desperately wanted to be in the posse of guys like Joe Mad, and they would talk and say, Don't you understand what Joe Mad is doing? He's he's merging east and west. It's east and west. You know, like no one before, and I'm like sitting there going, uh, you mean like like what, what was going on in, in X-Force with East and West and all those extreme books? And I was kind of like, um, yeah, that, that, that's not new territory. The, 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 but this person who would, and these people would try and share to you that Joe Matt had broken up this, breast, this great new um, formula. No, he hadn't. What he was doing was doing it at the highest level it could be done and inspiring i mean if you get the cross-gen books you get soul soggy you get warlands you get all these other books i'm telling you you know he probably influenced you know 15 to 20 percent of the marketplace at the time and that's huge that is massive and these were big talents that went to work over at cross-gen and when you've got you know you know sword and sorcery pirate books drawn by you know George Perez, and you've got Butch Geis, uh, later known as Jackson Geis, G-U-I-C-E. Um, you've, you've got all manner of, of terrific talents. Jimmy Chung got his start. Uh, you, you, you've got so many of, of these great talents over at CrossGen. And really what they were doing, in my estimation, that niche, that, that you know, piece of the market does not exist unless Battle Chasers creates it. But Joe, apart from being a singular talent, he hid many of the influences. I, I again, offer you no further than Garrison. It's all right there. It, it, he is the tether, the, the unlocking of, I'm not looking at fantasy. I'm looking at so many manga com- components. I'm looking at so many manga components. Also, again, uh, Calibretto, again, huge manga anime component. Battle Chasers, nobody did it better. Uh, it was the top-selling book. It demanded so much attention. People tripped over themselves to get the copies. They were action-packed. They were brilliant. They were cool-looking. Joe had his own very distinct style, which was based on literally so much manga and anime artistry in his understanding of Western storytelling. He could move a page with motion and his you know page design. Your eye went exactly where it was supposed to be. He was just phenomenal. I was one of those who was really sad when he walked away from Battle Chasers, but I think he said what he needed to say and he got it out there. And I know that there was other spinoffs that he kind of produced. I, I, I have those hardcovers. They're on my shelf. I have those collections. I am a Battle Chasers fan for, for the rest of my life. But what began in the 80s with manga and anime coming in and influencing our page designs, our, our uh, you know, the aesthetics of our storytelling, the the 
gear, the, the, the character, uh, designs. I mean, the action, the commitment to motion, I've said the speed lines, it all culminated in 1998 when battle chasers hit and this kind of son of Western comics and son of manga. And yeah, I guess, okay. Also dungeons and dragons, but Joe mad put it all together and blew the doors off everybody, but they all thought they were getting a fantasy product when in fact it was a manga product and with fantasy overtones in the exact way, again, that Berserk is a fantasy manga in that bastard is a fantasy manga in that, uh, 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 Fist of North Star is 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 roughly a fantasy manga. You know, it's it it uh we're we're Appleseed and Ghost in the Shell. So much of Shiro stuff is really cyberpunk and sci tech oriented. There is so much great fantasy manga, and Joe Mad tapped into all of that, and and he created something fresh, something new, something bold, and we all went for it, and and it 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 inspired what I would call a mini movement because by the early two thousands that was all gone because the audience realized you can keep dressing this up but it's not battle chasers it 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 doesn't have the same commitment to the uh to the fresh approach that joe did because joe had his secret formula that he was hiding from everyone else that segued us really into the photorealistic era hardcore and i've told you how i went under cover and i have witnesses these are flesh and blood people who were with me they couldn't recognize me i went undercover to san diego in uh in 2002 and i stood alongside editors i've told the story before some of you've heard this already but it bears repeating i bumped into eric larson i bumped into people who were licensing comics for me at the time i stood right next to joe casada they could not recognize me they did not know who i was i had glasses i had a button down shirt i had a hat down to my brow i had a big bag i was wearing across my chest i did not look the way rob liefeld had looked on the convention circuit so if i took away all the um the floppy hair uh or or let's call it the bad haircut the um the the clean face and i started coming that covering that up there was no t-shirts no shorts no no flip-flops you didn't know that i was standing next to you and i heard and so many of the editors and the people who were looking at samples and that's when i was standing next to the dc editorial when I was standing next to the um, Marvel editorial, and they're like, we don't want this image stuff. We don't want this image stuff. We want you to draw like life. Don't draw like those image guys. Don't do, don't do image. Don't give us image. I've had so many of you in my Facebook group, on Twitter, on Instagram, you guys have told me that these were your experiences and you'll tell them to me, uh, hey, Rob, I was showing my samples and people told me not to draw like image and I went away from it and 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 and, the, and that so many people have said it, but but now I found this real next level of success now that I've embraced it. Um, but but I was told to stand down and not approach that for so long. So we all know what was going on. It was it was it was a thing, and it really ramped up after uh, the battle chasers and the warlands and so many of the fantasy, the successful stuff had kind of um, semi petered out. And uh, we went to draw everything like photos, draw like Alex Ross. And it, it really entered a time when people, like I've mentioned him already, Jackson Geis, Butch Geis, when Butch Geis first came on the scene, filling, he, was, he, he followed Michael Golden on, on Micronauts. He did, uh, I, I've, devo- I've devoted an entire chapter to, to Forbidden Fruits, comics you're never going to get collections of because Micronauts, as popular as they were, teamed up with the X-Men. They did a four-issue miniseries. Um, where all the Micronauts team up with all the X-Men and they battled, you know, 
Baron Karza, the Micronauts battle, uh, the Micronauts villain, but that can't be reprinted because Marvel hasn't had the rights to the Micronauts for almost 40 years. And so you can't reprint that. So the only time you can get it is in singles. But Butch Geis drew that. He was a fantastic superhero stylist. He had a very unique style. It was born somewhat in in, in the Michael Golden style that, that he had followed on Micronauts. But Around the time of the 2000s, he was now drawing from photographs regularly. Everything had become heavy, heavy photo reference. Steve Epting, heavy photo reference. Brian Hitch, heavy photo reference. Um, it, it had become this era. And those of us who love comics and had been around the block and had been raised on a wider variety of, of experimental stylings like Walt Simonson, like Howard Chaikin, like, you know, Frank Miller, John Byrne. We knew that that adherence to photo reference wasn't going to, you know, go away. But it was certainly the reaction, not just to the closing down of the 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 image style, but it was what was born of the image style was this heavy animated manga looking style that the Joe Mads and the Pat Lees excelled at. But man, the comic stores uh, eventually they'll give Pat Lee some miniseries. They realize he has a commercial name, but everybody else. Draw like photos, draw like photos. It was this heavily that kind of petered out in the mid 2000s, thank God, uh, because people weren't going for it. They want style. Comics, if we want photos, we'll take pictures. Very few guys can pull this off, and they have to do it in a very, uh, you know, cultivated manner where the photo ref is also judged, judged against some huge comic book spectacle and comic book. Uh, you know, dynamic, dynamic figure work, dynamic storytelling. You can't just, you know, Hey, I'm going to draw everybody with photo reference and take Polaroids and, and, and pictures and, you know, pull stuff off the computer. Guys like Brian Hitch can do it. Very few others I've ever seen can do it. Obviously, Alan, Alex Ross is the kind of, you know, the Jedi master of all of this. But, uh, you know, traditional stylings found their way back by, by the time it was 2006, 2007, stylistic, you know, individual styles were starting to roar back. But this Battle Chasers Echo is one that was powerful and it resonated and it inspired all manner of fantasy comics, which again, the trick is it wasn't. It was manga all along and it was brilliant. And it will always remain in, as one of my favorite comic book series, comic book worlds I've, I've ever visited. So that is the culmination of this part of, of the, the manga manifesto, the manga madness. Certainly, as I've said, whether it's through today's manga and anime blockbusters, My Hero Academia, Attack on Titan, uh, Chainsaw Man, uh, Vinland Saga. I mean, the, the, today... Today's kids are are being treated to the next level. Those guys were raised on Shiro. They were raised on so much of the names that I've shared with you guys. And now you're getting an all new level. And and it, there's great character work and great character beats. But it's it's you know, My Hero Academia has a lot of tenants that come from, let's say, you know, uh, the X Men, the New Mutants. I mean, there, there's stuff in there that is familiar. Uh, Harry Potter, you know. Um, uh, but 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 it works on its own, very uh, very well in, in, in very very well crafted, very intelligent um, world building that that has sucked generations into its vortex. I mean, and they don't want to leave. These are tremendously 
tremendously influential. My my son's, you know, room, and like he'll he'll go away like Frankenstein's and come back with a hundred dollar, you know, My Hero Academia statue, Dragon Ball statue. I mean, statues, action figures, trading cards, the the animes themselves, the mangas. It is exciting. I do have another member of my family who is sucked into graphic novels. It's just not Western stuff. And like like I began this uh, in the in the first episode. Look no further than your bookseller, who has devoted so much space to the manga and the anime. And I'm telling you right now, there's a reason that that is all successful. And it's not just that they're interesting characters. It's the way it's being presented to you. Yes, many of the fans love the deep character revelations and the twists and the turns. My son loves the depth of world building and characters and history. Uh, and and switching of allegiances and the you know the big reveals of Attack on Titan. The world is so impressive, but we both are blown away when the Titans attack and the and 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 the the, the battle is waged and the incredible uh, low angles, high angles, the, the the action choreography, the spectacle of it all. There's there's something that manga, manga and anime is doing right now that we as creators, as storytellers in the West could um could learn a whole lot from and 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 apply it to our own work and 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 if we do watch an all new series of fireworks explode and and a new era of hits emerge from it take my word count it down uh it's gonna happen i i believe it's gonna happen if it doesn't happen it was something terribly tragic and stubborn but i do believe it's gonna happen so uh that'll give us a wrap on what started as Manga Manifesto, what ended as uh, Manga Madness, and I just, you know, again, appreciate so much of your feedback, and if this has caused you to, to check any of these titles out, you know, good on you. Uh, you'll be better off for it. It'll expand your world beyond maybe the stuff that you've um, been already collecting and give you another, you know, other realms to escape to. So uh, that was just, man. That had been pent up for a long time inside of me. I'm so glad I was able to share it with you. And by all means, if you don't know or haven't experienced Battle Chasers, get it. It's the best. It is fantastic. Joe Mad operated on a uh, a level all of his own, uh, combining the best elements of East and Western storytelling, drawing designs. But hopefully, you you, you know got some got some new knowledge dropped on you today, and, and can carry that with you as you enjoy it. And uh, because I, I don't know when we'll revisit this topic again, I'm going I'm to go ahead and, and wedge this here. For Christmas this year, uh, my, my, my 20-year-old son, Chase, uh, gave to me, and uh, he went to one of those Japanese markets, Korean markets, and he was able to uh, pick up the art of Star Wars Visions. And it was last year when Disney Plus debuted star wars visions which took all of the great eastern anime directors uh storytellers and and they told different s- stories of jedi and sith lords and i mean you guys that stuff straight up blew me away if you don't think that was on my radar from day one and the minute we could go live with those i was watching them i watched them all twice boom boom ran through it ran through it again call my son luke who's a, now that now i'm being connected because he is a huge anime fan just like his brother but also an even bigger star wars fan than maybe even i am at this point and so this was able to unite all of us but i'm sitting here and i'm flipping through this incredible book you know looking at the bandit troopers 
and looking at all of these incredible manga and anime designs and all and 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 you know did they not put uh what, what what I believe is way more than a fresh coat of paint on the Star Wars universe. Um, the, these are flat out incredible masters. I don't want to butcher any of of their names, which I you know I'm very sensitive about. Uh, but this is for, like legit. I can't read it. It's all written in in Japanese. But I can look at these delicious, amazing, beautiful pictures. But again, manga hit Star Wars right, and there's so much more that I didn't talk about today. Again, like Lone Wolf uh, and Cub, I think it was 2100, they, they chose to put Lone Wolf and Cub into the future. I, I believe that is a result of somewhat of, of what was going on with Battle Chasers. Uh, um, I think there, there's, a, there's a, another Dark Horse series called Battle Gods, and it was done by the same guy who did uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. I believe um, Battle Gods doesn't exist uh, without... <clears throat> uh, yeah, the, the warriors of C H A A K Chuck, uh, battle gods. Okay, and that was by uh, Francisco Ruiz Velasco, and and battle gods, uh, the, the 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 lone wolf and cub twenty one hundred. All that stuff doesn't exist, I believe, but for the impact of how Joe uh, presented battle chasers. Because again, there were a few people like Pat Lee, like with Warlands, who understood. There's there's more than fantasy here. There's manga, but. The fact that they have brought this manga anime uh, influence to the Star Wars world, I mean, I, I was so shocked. It was such a, a, a great gift that I, A, I didn't know existed because I haven't been getting out en- enough, but what a gift to receive. And this big, giant art book with all of these turnarounds, page designs, um, you know, matte paintings, the Elder, uh, oh my gosh, the... the uh, it shouldn't surprise you to know that my my favorite of all of the uh the the it, the the Ronin story was my favorite on the Star Wars visions and it, and to me it was the most visceral and uh I mean it was literally like like a lone wolf and cub styled story in the Star Wars universe. So like I said I didn't know when I was going to get back to this but since we've been so heavy on the manga and the anime I thought I would throw this in today. I mean the fact that Star Wars has done this and those Star Wars visions if you haven't checked them out check them out. On Disney Plus, you will not go wrong. Each they're all in a different style. Um, some more kind of visceral, gritty than others. Some cleaner, more polished. But I think you'll get a huge uh, kick in the pants. Much less, you know, maybe a little inspiration uh, uh, to boot. It's fantastic. Highest possible recommendation. So to close out the show, we're gonna revisit an old favorite, and by old favorite, I mean the most popular episodes that I've ever done on Rob Observations, and that's going back about three years now. Heroes Reborn was a deal that Marvel did with myself and Jim Lee. It was commenced. The deal took almost a year to do. Late 94, we, we locked it up in early 95 and announced it in, in early 96 that we would be relaunching some of Marvel's classic titles that had fallen on hard times in terms of sales. And uh, that was Captain America, Iron Man, The Avengers, and Fantastic Four. Really. You know, whether Joe Simon, Kirby, uh, you know, Stanley Kirby, Don, Don Heck, where, where it's Iron Man, the Joe Simon, Jack Kirby is Captain America, Stan and Jack on FF and Stan and Jack on the Avengers. It was kind of the original core in a world of image comics and in a world of X-Men and Spider-Man dominated titles. They weren't getting a lot of run out of those books. And they came to us 
And they also needed something unique to launch from their new distribution network. They were going to buy their own distributor, pull away from Diamond and Capital, which would create somewhat of a distributor collapse because Capital went out of business and we entered into this one distributor world with Diamond. But Heroes World was a smaller distributor that Marvel had bought and they wanted something that would really fire up retailers that, that they could only get, you know, along with the other Marvel books that they, they could only get because they had only been able to get any Marvel books from Heroes World the minute that they pulled from Diamond and created their own distribution network. And again, ask your store, were they, were they ordering Image and DC and Dark Horse from Diamond at the time and then had to go through Heroes World? Yes, it was kind of a precursor in the world that we live in now where Diamond uh, has Image and Boom and... Uh, and Luna has DC Comics, and Penguin has Marvel, and now your retailer has to order from three different, and we covered this in Support Your Local Retailer, which was the show that I ended 2022 on. Um, but this was the precursor to that. So, so, But they, they had kept re- repeatedly told us, but we want something really special to, to, you know, to galvanize everybody to, to, to a, an event-style line of books that will command, you know, so much enthusiasm. So they came to Jim and I and they cut this deal and we agreed to do it. And sometimes even three years later, after my absolute most successful, uh, you know, after my, my most successful episodes ever on the heroes reborn, where I would literally read, read to you guys, I would read to you. From the memos that I got from Marvel, I mean, th- there was no hiding the fact that the stuff that I was sharing with you was was beyond, like, one hundred thousand percent beyond legit. I'm I'm reading memos from Marvel executives who are informing me, you know, of of uh, of the bad news that 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 much of what was um that that I was doing was you know not. The, the enthusiasm that they had for it, and they were specifically talking numbers. And I, I shared all of these different numbers and 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 sales and fax figures. And I, you know, read to you the names off of the different, you know, <laughs> off of the different memos and letters and back and forths. There wasn't really email at the time. It hadn't become in in the fashion that it would become, you know, later on down the line. But uh. I'm telling you, I still now read people people's distortion of this stuff. They 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 will engage in absolute distortion in regards to not telling you uh, ex- exactly what was going on, when it was going on, how it was going on, and they act as if Heroes Reborn. And and I think you guys all are aware of this. And I'm not sensitive to it. I just I'm going to use it as a platform myself to then share with you that that this information is. One hundred percent, you know, uh, errant. It is one hundred percent distorted, so that you will get a different picture. So that you will somehow, because you see it on a a website that is notorious for giving bad information, that you will somehow then, uh, you know, having read it on that site, believe it. Because if if they're sharing it with you, well, then it must. It must be true, but that's, you know, I think we've shared on the show here with all of the different 
like I said, interviews, memos, editorials, real-time information, uh, data, and, and again, you know, the, 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 the data that just cannot be dismissed, that, that, that so much of uh, when, when this errant information is shared with you, you can check it against the facts and the figures of the time. And, you know, when it comes to Heroes Reborn, very few people are going to raise their voice and challenge against the memos and the data and the, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, just the factual information that I've shared. So imagine, you know, I, I keep seeing these sites that are like, oh yeah, that, that was a terrible, you know, failure. No, we're going to redefine and really, (laughs) we're going to look together and, and, and understand what, what failure looks like. And I had been going through these magazines again, looking to uh, grab as much information, as much Intel as I can possibly share with you guys. And I would come across another information dump, sales figures, charts, um, graphs that, that absolutely, you know, put forth and indicate the truth. And, and, and the truth is, is indisputable because it's, it's on a ledger somewhere. It's on a ledger in in the office and in the ledgers and the memos. That is where the you know one hundred percent truth lies. And I was again let's um you know let's let's really examine the the aspect of Heroes Reborn. We were hired to restore these books to their former glory, and so. Here I am, you know, checking out these different magazines, going over sales figures. Like, oh, there it is. There, there's. So, you know, when Marvel opened up and began to talk to us about doing this together, there, this was like late 1994. Heroes Reborn was launched in 96. I love sharing this with you guys. If you guys don't think this gives me the biggest kick. So, in 1994, I looked and I saw the top 100 printed in one of the local, not local, one of the many different comic book magazines that there were at the time. And it lists, again, like so many of them did, the top 100. And I was able to look at the rankings. And what stood out for me was at the bottom of the rankings was Captain America. Captain America was number 99. And Captain America, when I launched it, was the number four comic in America. Now, the, the Avengers had been the number two book when the reorders were all settled. So, Jim's Fantastic Four took the top spot, top spot Avengers 2, Iron Man 3, and Cap 4. And the big deal about that was it was the number four book in the land selling 300,000 copies. Now, I would call that a success unless the book, you know, unless unless the book had been selling 400,000 copies or if the book had been selling, you know, 350,000 copies or even if the book had been doing, you know, uh, uh, 300,000 copies, then it's not, you know, then it was a lateral move. Except in 1994, the, uh, the issue of Captain America 
that was released in August of 1994, right when we were opening talks and going to the Marvel offices in Los Angeles. It was the 99th selling comic. And we're talking about sales in the 20,000s. So this is just data. This is just hard data. So what do you get? So, so, so double that would be 40,000. Triple that would be 60,000. Let's, let's say it's even 25,000. So 50, 75, 100 is four times the sales. I mean, 12 times more. 300,000 units of Captain America, uh, number one, were launched into the stratosphere. The failure of Captain America is where it was at, not where it arrived, not where it was when we launched. The failure was where it was at before we took it over. Now, I've, I've covered with you after the news landed at Marvel proper and they knew because the contracts were done. Jim and I were going to be doing this, and they were. It was the first time Marvel had outsourced characters of this magnitude. You know, editorial scrambled and wanted to try and you know create what would be a tryout to the new publisher and the new you know uh, president, both of whom had come on during the Heroes World distribution purchase, both of whom had sought Jim and I out, both of whom had put this entire deal together together those two guys uh were now you know being told by editorial you shouldn't have done that we can fix this ourselves we can fix this ourselves and so you know captain america went through a very obvious by a very angry editor who put together a team with wade and garney and they tried to jump start captain america the the efforts the 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 stories and the art were very admirable um, Ron Garney's art is fantastic. It recalls some Alex Toth, some David Mazzuchelli, some Frank Miller. I, I, it was the best Ron Garney, uh, certainly up to that date that he had ever done. He literally rose to this occasion, but it was also a color of enhanced computer coloring, really slick inking and rendering and the kind of stuff that Jim and I had been doing with great success. Now, during this same time, mind you, uh, you, you you would it, you're like well I felt hey where where were some of your extreme comics doing well that's interesting you should ask that so one year later in 1995 as I look over the the sales again and I go back and I check uh well there it is okay profit my comic book profit uh issue two is the thirty five the thirty fifth best selling comic now not top ten right. But you know where you know where Captain America is uh, that month. Captain America, the same month that Profit, my my Profit comic, is uh, is selling thirty five. Cap is selling seventy five. So <clears throat> he's up from ninety, but he's fifteen, fifteen, you know, fifteen rankings higher, but about forty thousand units between them. 40,000 rankings. So again, Marvel had Marvel made their decision, they stuck with it. And again, we came forth and we did our job and and the reason those Heroes Reborns episodes, the Heroes Reborn episodes are so popular with you guys is cuz and I I I've, I've really applied the science to it. So many of you said I was 15, I was 16. That's the sweet spot. That is the sweet spot. I can tell you two guys, I'll name them by name, Robert Kirkman and Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns of Flash, Justice Society, you know, um Legion fame, Titans. Robert Kirkman, Invincible, Walking Dead, they have both told me that they were 16 years old when 
New Mutants 100, X-Force 1 launched, and they couldn't believe the end of New Mutants 100. They told me that, and as a grown man at the time, I was so moved, and they said, Rob, that just connected with me, and I was such a huge reveal, and it blew me away. And here I've got two of the most popular creators of their age telling me how much my work affected them. And it was kind of like me telling John Byrne or Jim Starlin or all the names I always name, Frank Miller, how much they moved me. Bottom line, those teenagers are formative, and when you can strike that sweet spot, and make that connection. And so many people, so many, you don't get from 25,000 to 300,000 without adding, obviously, a lot of eyeballs. Cap had two covers, by the way. Had two covers, not 5, 30, you know, 25. Had two covers. All the Heroes Reborn launch books had two covers. Those fans that I meet now who, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's coming up on 30 years since, since, since those books happen, but it's still, you know, when I meet them at the 20th anniversary, I meet them at the 25th anniversary. They're like, I'm 35 now. I'm 36. I'm, that was my favorite book. That was my first Captain America. That was my first Avengers. That was my first Fantastic Four. Those, we made that connection and they were very disappointed when at the issue sixes, extreme, the extreme talent jumped and that's neither here nor there that that happened. But those books were ridiculously ridiculously successful the failure is where they were at make no make no doubt about it it was where they were lingering from 75 to 90 is not what marvel had anticipated for those books and to jump them from 25,000 sales let's say let's say by the end let's say they were doing 36,000 it's not what happened when we did our thing and so when you hear those not hear those when you look at those sites and they're spreading the erroneous information heroes reborn was first marred by bankruptcy and this is what opens the door to the aftermath because i told you i was going to give you some aftermath so wizard magazine has a march 1997 cover on it it is wizard magazine number 67 it broke before they went to press and they even say this broke as we went to press it, it, it broke as they went to press. They have a big blur of Marvel, Marvel files bankruptcy. Marvel Comics will need more than superheroes to pull their company out of financial difficulty. Marvel Entertainment filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on December 27th and has proposed a $527 million restructuring plans to bring the company back to its mighty Marvel roots. Despite the bankruptcy filing, Marvel will continue to publish its comic books on time and has announced that all of its employees will continue to get paid. Uh, it then goes down to say Marvel Entertainment Group is comprised of Marvel Comics, Toy Biz, uh, Toys and Action Figures, Fleer Skybox, Trading Cards, Marvel Studios, Film and Television Development, Marvel Mania, Restaurant Chains, and Marvel Interactive Computer Products and Online Services. Ron Perlman, who currently owns Marvel Comics, Marvel Comics Group will, um, with, a properly, with approximately 80% of its stock, is attempting to maintain control of Marvel during the restructuring. According to published reports, Carl Icahn, Owner of TWA and currently battling for control of Nabisco has vowed to fight Perlman in court concerning the questionable nature in which Perlman is handling the payment of Marvel shareholders and bondholders. And then it says editors note this story was filed as Marvel went, as Wizard went to press. Look for a complete story on Marvel Marvel bankruptcy in next month's Wizard. So they they are telling you that in Wizard. 67, they're going to bring this to you. Well, we were called in advance. Jim and I, as I've told you, we were contracted players and we were contracted for high six-figure contracts. And when you enter into a bankruptcy, we were given the heads up by 48 hours because they were about to hit the press and announce it. And by law, legally, they had to let us know because our contracts were going to be affected by it. 
So in here, as part of their schedule, they do a Heroes Reborn the second half. Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld head, head into the home stretch of Heroes Reborn. And isn't it lovely? They, they start, and like so many of these articles, they don't sign their names. One thing I've known about Wizard, they were very, very... Now, that, that they, a contributor was Craig Shutt, but many of their... Um, they, they don't ever give definitive writer bylines. The, the sarcasm in this, it says, it leads with after Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld head into the home stretch of Heroes Reborn. It says, you thought they'd screw it all up, didn't you? Heroes Reborn, the four-title experiment in which Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld rebooted classic Marvel Comics characters or reached the halfway point. Uh, fans already had the rug pulled out from under them when it comes to who these heroes are in the Heroes Reborn universe. This time, FF mainstay Sue and Johnny Storm were corporate execs at a huge aerospace company. Uh, the, the Avengers are all S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Hmm. <laughs> I think that stuck. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, then it goes down and it, and it covers everything. Uh, it says, Rob Liefeld, director of the Captain America and Avengers titles, promises things are only getting started. We had to set up a whole lot of stuff, Liefeld says. It took us a few issues to introduce everything and you really get into the groove. But now that that's finished, we're going to turn it up significantly and have a lot of fun. When we started out, the reader's attitude was show me. And I firmly believe that by Captain America issue six, Avengers issue six, we will have shown people that these books are entertaining and that they should be picking them up. And I I still firmly believe that. Again, the the bankruptcy created, and I've covered this. If you haven't listened to the Heroes Reborn episodes, they were such a joy to bring to you. They were so fun and so exciting. And part of it is I was able to build like the early negotiations, you know, when we finally finalized the deal, the actual press conference that announced us, the industry reaction, and then all the behind the scenes, Jim Lee trying to um, take over Marvel when even Marvel people didn't know it. And and the head of Marvel flying to San Diego to try and close a deal and then Bill Jemis and some other guys on the inside scrambling to undo that deal before it was finalized. Very, I mean, it, it's high drama. But in here are drawings, uh, sketches, depicting ideas of, of where we were going to go. I was a huge Invaders fan. Behind me on that spinner rack that I spoke to you at the, at the top are a bunch of comic books, uh, all from the 70s. I have an entire dedicated, you know, one, one all, all 12 rungs are dedicated to Hulk. The other is dedicated to Captain America. The other, the X-Men. The other is the Invaders. The World War II, uh, ser- the series set in World War II that Marvel did in the late 70s, which depicts the adventures of Cap, Namor the Submariner, uh, Human Torch, his sidekick Toro, Bucky, uh, all of them in, in World War II battling Nazis. They would, did you know that in some of those invaders issues, Hitler summons Thor, summons the Norse god Thor to do his bidding. And it's, it's, it's in retroactively like, you know, that, that, that Thor was summoned and battled the inv- invaders long before he was in the Marvel universe proper. And it's the Thor that, you know, it's the, the Jack and Stan Kirby on the, Jack Kirby did the cover. It, I mean, these were great great stories master man was a character from the invaders that i made my chief uh villain in captain american again i mean neo-nazis white supremacy um you know all of these themes that i was touching on in captain america in 1996 are kind of daily headlines now in 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 the, of the last three years and and so 
the idea that disenchanted white males would be rallied around uh, a stealth kind of uh, Nazi is is something that is should not be unfamiliar to you if, if if you've been watching the news. But I was doing it in the comic books through a superhero lens, and the um, they called him Alexander, but behind the scenes he was Masterman, the German Ubermensch that I love from the Invaders. Well, we were going to do a whole lot more with that Invaders connection, and it says here, you know. Uh, Steelworker Steve Rogers, in regards to what's going on with Captain American Heroes Reborn, what, what it's going to, where it's going, Steelworker Steve Rogers discovers the life that he's been living is a lie. At the instruction of President Truman, shortly before the end, after the end of World War III, to to Cap was programmed with memories of a fake life to make him forget he'd ever been a super soldier, and he has been uh, the, the 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 super soldier serum has been keeping him prematurely young ever since. Reuniting with Shield, Cap awakens in time to join with Nick Fury uh, to combat the World Party, a neo-Nazi group run by the Red Skull, his pal Masterman, helping Sam or Sam Wilson, a superpowered, a superpowered former jet pilot named Falcon, and Ricky Barnes, a teenage girl who takes on the mantle of Bucky. It says, what's going to happen? In issue seven and eight, Cap journey to England, where they will meet Union Jack, Namor, and the other members of the Invaders that they fought alongside in World War II. Now, again, that's, that, that was going to feature, they don't say it here, but I can tell you now, it was going to resurrect Baron Blood, who was going to have a whole lot more uh, vampires alongside of him. The, the Baron Blood storyline that John Byrne did, which was a kind of a closing of a chapter that was begun in the Invaders. Baron Blood was introduced, as was Union Jack, in this Invaders uh, series. And there was also a, a speedster named Spitfire. And so we have some drawings of a the the Heroes Reborn version of Union Jack, as well as the Heroes Reborn version of Spitfire. But Namor would have been along for the ride as we formally reunite the invaders, and they would have battled the resurgent Brother Blood, who would have been resurrected alongside a legion of Brother Blood acolytes. And that was what was going to take up those next couple issues. Then 9, 10, and 11 were the Stephen Platt issues. And I had told Steven for the longest time, I remember running home after meeting Steven Spielberg on the drive home, not meeting, actually one of my many meetings, and, and I've covered that in the Hollywood episodes of, uh, of Rob Observations, because I had many different projects and was very fortunate to have met and been in Steel, Steven Spielberg's home, his offices, uh, just crafting sci-fi and action adventure stories for about three to four years, from 92 to 96. I ran home one day about what if we did like a UFO has crashed in Russia in the 60s and they tapped into all of that alien technology and now they've got weapons and secrets and you know mysteries that will be used against the United States but we don't know it we don't know we weren't able to see it Russia covered it up and so it says here Stephen Platt's story is an X-Files type twist with an alien landing uh And uh, oh, it just would have been would have been just such a fantastic uh, episode, and it would have flashed back also to uh, with Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos World War II era. But you would have gotten all sorts of new, um, you know, alien with Russians, with Nazis, with German agents. It was going to be great. We turned part of that story, but not not the entirety of it. 
we we had elements of that that we put into our fighting Americans since we were no longer able to do it with Captain America. Uh, in regards to uh, <clears throat> uh, it says here, we will also be introducing more elements with Red Skull, Masterman, and Baron Zemo. And uh, we will see, you will see much more of MODOK. So, again, an Invaders reunion, uh, more Baron Blood, Russians, alien sh- spaceships, uh, obviously more Red Skull. This is the kind of stuff that was coming. But when they came to me and they said, hey man, um, we've got to redo your contract, and which means that all of the production costs, all of the salaries, everything we've been taking you, we, we need you to take 50% of that. And they said, we've already talked to Jim, and if you don't say yes, he'll do it. At which point I said, just let Jim, Jim do it. Um, the bottom line with the Avengers at the time was, uh, which we were all really excited about, was um, giving a backstory to how Hellcat, Swordsman, Hawkeye, Vision, and Scarlet Witch had come together. But uh, it really, really was going to lean so much more into Kang the Conqueror because Kang the Conqueror really let, led, led off the original Avengers Heroes Reborn storyline. And we just wanted to continue because Kang the Conqueror, as I've said many times here, is just my, uh, it's just, he was my favorite Avengers villain. And uh, along with expanding on Mantis and Swordsman, which was a great storyline that I grew up with that was written by Steve Englehart, um, we were going to have more with Kang the Conqueror and, and the Avengers in their entirety were going to go to Asgard as a result because Kang would have been hiding on Asgard. And so you would have been seeing our versions of Odin and the Warriors 3 and expanding so much more of Asgard. So the Mantis Kang storyline, our twist on it was that he would have been consolidating power hidden away in Asgard where he thought no one could find him, but of course we found him. And so that would have rounded out our two years on uh, the, 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 our, our first year on, on, the, uh, on, on the book. So not, not just years two, the, 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 back, the back half of our, our, our books. Um, it says... Your imagination runs away when you work with these characters, says Rob Liefeld. It's hard not to think about what can happen next. So if Heroes Reborn was renewed, what would he and Jim Lee have, where would Jim Lee, where would he and Jim Lee have taken the stories in issues 13 to 24? In regards to the Avengers, I talk about a focus on Agatha Harkness, the Scarlet Witch, and the Enchantress. Um, it's a shame that we haven't been able to de- develop that subplot more, um, but it has most of my attention going into the second year, and we most assuredly will pit the Avengers against the Squadron Supreme. I have a tremendous fondness for them. And if you listen, go no further than my very first episode of this show, Rob Observations. Issue number one, episode number one, and I talked to you about my first storyline with the Avengers that I got hyped with was with the Squadron Supreme. So that was coming from a real, genuine place. Um, I say here in, in in year two, Cap would be spending way much more time with the Invaders because I would have used that new Bucky with Namor, with Human Torch, with Union Jack. I would I, I really wanted to expand 
so much of that and the continued battle and struggle against uh, the World Party. And then, of course, I was going to do, and I, I yanked this out and put this in Youngblood, but I was going to, it says right here in print, I was going to introduce the crown. And it was going to be an English royalty made up of the Duke, the Duchess, the Jester, etc. Um, so, again, just keeping a global kind of uh, vision on Cap, but we have talked so often of Cap, and I think I told you in those Heroes Reborn episodes that what was on the tail, what was on the table with us right when the books launched, what was on the table with us was taking Punisher, uh, Jim, Jim Lee, they were going to add, give us more titles. And for Jim, I think he was going to do Marvel and two, Marvel two and one, maybe Silver Surfer and add. No, that, that was it for him. I think I had asked for the Punisher. I wanted to do my version of the Punisher, uh, in, in, in the Heroes Reborn universe. And Marvel was open to all of that. Jim was going to do a Silver Surfer book and going to do possibly a Marvel two and one team up book. That, that was the kind of stuff that he had, uh, he had put on put on the table and for me i know for sure punisher was one of them because that's that's when i would have been able to do a different take on the punisher and for the life of me i probably mentioned it in that other episode but this was i i can that there was a second title but for certain for absolute certain that is in print in the wizard magazine and and you see the little union jack and the spitfire sketches where we were going and all of that stopped because really what was going on with the bankruptcy when, when all things were said and done, going back to what I said about 10, 15 minutes ago, where, where was Cap in the Avengers when we started this? Well, Cap was 99 out of 100. One of the lowest selling Marvel comic books. It had kind of pumped up to 75 and, 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 and was trying to get some traction. When I was let go, and I've covered this in the Heroes Reborn, the dedicated episode, there's much more detail. But the uh, publisher at the time, a new guy who had moved in named Cheryl, Rhodes had written me to tell me that sales of Captain America had fallen below what they were expecting and was currently lingering at 240,000 copies. This was for issue number four. Think about that. 24, 25,000 copies prior. Now, now 240,000. I think Cap 4 was a top 10 book. Top, top 10 book for Marvel at Heroes World. At, at, Heroes, at Heroes World, it was a probably top top six comic from Marvel. And, uh, you know, I was being told this, this has been disappointing for them. And in those other episodes, Jim and I had spoken, and I think, you know, some people had said that, well, with Jim and Rob, they need to be selling a million. Now, Fantastic Four was a few, a few higher than that, but it wasn't doing that much incrementally better. Maybe an extra twenty five thousand copies on Fantastic Four, which also always also had done better. Fantastic Four as a comic book had always sold higher; it had an, a higher audience interest before and after. Fantastic Four was ranked higher when we launched uh, Heroes Reborn than uh, than Cap. Cap was Cap. Cap. Nothing started as low as Cap. And throughout the history of Fantasy Four, remember when I told you that at the time Captain America was doing seventy-five in nineteen ninety-five, Fantastic Four was uh, Fantastic Four was right here doing. It was the number forty-six comic. Fantastic Four was forty-six, number forty-six in the summer of nineteen ninety-five. Captain America was third, was seventy-five, a thirty, 
another another huge gap. Profit, my, Extreme Studios outsold both of them, but Fantastic Four was outselling Captain America by 30 rankings. So again, you've already got a... Fantastic Four has always been the better received. Neither of them were doing spectacular, but Fantastic Four was always seen as the flagship. Cap was the lowest. When you read those sites, when you see them, again, smile. You know better. You've got... I'm reading out of rankings that are in magazines like Comic Scene, like Entertainment Retailing, like Wizard, like Hero Illustrated, the, the, these um, fan magazine. This is the kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that when the, the numbers are locked in, and very few people kept them. Some of you guys have said, I can't believe how much stuff you've kept and have. Well, I, I do, <laughs> and I have, and I will. But again, Heroes Reborn, the, the, the ability to revisit this was to see what was coming hardcore what I spoke on the record to about Wizard Magazine, what was coming both in the rest of the first year and then in the second year. And then to again, kind of amusingly share with you, you know, when they, when they, whenever anyone says that Heroes Reborn wasn't anything but a resounding success, they're lying to you. They're 100% trying to mislead you because they didn't like it or they didn't like that Jim and Rob got that gig or whatever. Um, Their uncle worked at Marvel at the time and he was pissed because it had been outsourced. Whatever. There were the excuse, these books were massively successful from 90 to the top four, from 75 to the top four. Jim Lee took Fantastic Four from 40 to, to number one. I mean, we did everything we asked for, but Marvel's bankruptcy really put a weird shadow over everything they couldn't afford to pay. Um, again, being being knocked down 50%, is they wanted me to take a 50% pay cut. And what I'm telling you right now, if I'm going to have to walk in and tell everyone I'm getting to, having to pay them 50% less, then I'm just going to do, do something new myself. And uh, again, telling me ahead of time that you're not telling me this first. You've already gotten your bag that Jim will do it. I just said, look, I'm not going to work under these auspices because who knows? Two issues later, it could have been cut further, cut further. At that point, the control had been lost. The bankruptcy was dictating everything. So we left. But I had the best time. And I'm so proud of those comics. And I'm so proud of what we did. And I'll always come back to them. You guys love hearing about this era for a reason. Those those comics were special to you and they were special to us. And we loved giving them to you. And it'll never get old talking about them. As we do each and every episode, I read the reviews that you leave for Rob's Observations for this podcast. I, I read them uh, from the different platforms that you Share them on, and I am so thrilled each and every time that you guys are passionate about the show and that you are writing reviews, giving us these great responses. And so, and you sign them and you leave them, and I'm going to read read them at the end of each and every show. And today we have a fantastic review. I'm so humbled by Zolatron, Z O L A T R O N, Zolatron. He gives us five stars. He says a backstage pass to all things comic books. Observations is a backstage pass to all things in comic books and pop culture, especially if you grew up during the image boom. From the business side and insider conversations to the production and marketing of comics across the entire industry, Rob really brings you in with his perspective to what he personally experienced as well as leveraging conversations, industry news, and interviews of the time. This podcast brings me all the way back to my childhood and why comic books were so impactful to me then and continue to be today. Oh, and I'm also including the word bravura just so he can do his McFarlane impersonation. Let me tell you something, Zolatron, that's the end of your review. Thank you so very much for that glowing review. And for you, I'm going to say, 
Bravura! What is bravura? Now, if you want to understand what that meant, go back and listen to the the bravura episode of Rob Observations, and it'll all come into focus for you. But look, Zolatron, thank you so much. I love that you were enjoying uh, all of the knowledge and everything that I'm dropping. I think today was a great episode of just that. So thank you so much, Zolatron. I am so honored and humbled when you guys leave reviews for us. It helps elevate our platform, our 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 profile. Um, it just does all sorts of great things in terms of getting the word out and and getting more eyeballs and sharing the word. I thank you so much. Thanks for sharing this with your stores, with your family members, with your friends, with um, fellow fans. I, I cannot begin to appreciate everything that you have given me enough. Uh, you write those reviews. I'll find them. I'll share them with you at the end of each and every episode. I went super long today. This is one of our all-time longest shows, but hey, I am going to sign off telling you that you can find me on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, entire name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld. I love the conversations we have over there, the back and forth, the the mentions, the discussions of all things comics, continuing uh, to discuss topics that we bring up here on the show. Look for me at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, on Instagram, the photo dump of my life. What I'm drawing, what I'm eating, what my, me and my family are doing, uh, you'll find it. I'm posting it. I love also the conversations, the comments, the, the DMs, uh, the back and forth that we experience on Instagram. I'm at Rob Liefeld. Both Robert Liefeld and on Twitter and Rob Liefeld on Instagram have blue checks that tell you I'm verified and it's really me and not some phony baloney. So, um, and I didn't pay for either of them. And if that becomes the case, I probably won't have them. But it, 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 now I do. And I'm only telling you so that, that you follow the real deal. So Rob Liefeld on Instagram, Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I have a Facebook group I would love for you to be a part of. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That's the very specific name of the group. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. There's a whole group of us. We're having a great time over there. We have art contests. We have great artists who are showing all of their different skills. Uh, We we talk about comics, uh, not just stuff that I've done, but characters that I've worked on. Please join the conversation. Myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. We'll, we'll click you through. We're the administrators. We're the moderators. So that that's how you know you've um, gotten to the right place. That's kind of the blue check of the group is that it's myself and Terry Sala who will be moderating it. There are other groups. Find ours. Ours is the real deal. Our community is growing. We'd love to have you visit us at Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond over on Facebook. There's an app. It's called Whatnot. It is the premier collectible app that is just blowing up. Everything you want is on that app. Manga, anime, uh, sports cards, trading cards, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, uh, sports, jerseys, shirts, memorabilia, kicks, sneakers. I am in the comic book in the toy section. Rob Liefeld. Follow me. I am Rob Liefeld on Whatnot. Download the app. Follow Rob Liefeld on my live streams. I have custom signed comics, uh, toys, Funkos, and original art. I will do all different manner of remarks and different newfangled uh, variations on my signature, on my chisel signature. What's a chisel signature? Find out on whatnot. What is a drop shadow chisel? What is a blood splatter chisel? Find out joining me on one of my many whatnot live stream shows that I um, uh, uh, do over there on the whatnot app. I schedule the show. You can find me if you follow me. It'll tell you when my next show is scheduled. I, I do at least one show a week if you follow me on whatnot and you will find out because the schedule is always changing um i I, i've been favoring wednesdays and saturdays but it could could always change so follow me over on whatnot you'll get custom uh variant comics we did a dedicated whatnot spider-man variant a deadpool variant new mutants variant 
uh, and a brigade, a brigade variant celebrating the 30th anniversary of Brigade. So there's stuff that you could only get that I drew, that I produced only on whatnot. So I encourage you jump over there, catch us on a on a live stream, and we'll have a good time. I I absolutely believe it. You know, at the end of every episode, I am rooting for you and hoping that you get that time away. Right now, this weekend, I'm already planning. When am I going to get that time on that recliner, on that beanbag, and what collections am I going to um, tear through? There's stuff that I was given. Trade, uh, uh, wonderful trade collections, omnibuses at Christmas that I haven't opened yet. I have not removed from the plastic and absorbed, but that's coming and my mind will just escape. Marvel Comics, DC Comics, um, independent comics of my youth, and I'll just go back in time and enjoy that story, those art, that, that those stories, that art, um, and I'll do it with great junk food or great foodie stuff. Uh, I, I, I turned into quite the foodie over the last 10 years. I love all, I chase food trucks. I love food halls. I love all the newfangled flavors. And look, that stuff, it, it, it opens, you know, it, it, it excites me. It opens up my mind. It tells me, gives me pleasure. I'm relaxing. I'm escaping from the grind of the day. I don't have to do pages that day. I don't have to draw more um, assignments. I can just escape. I want the best for you. It's how we feed ourselves spiritually. Hey, maybe for you, it's a long jog. I, I ride the bike every day. It it it, it unlocks me, okay? Uh, m- maybe that does it for you. I'm just encouraging you, get away, get some time for yourself. Read a great book, watch a great show, a great movie, a classic, something new. Uh, check out one of the many awesome comic books from the, from the past or the present. Just get some me time. That's it. And do it with some great junk food. That's my recommendation. I am rooting for you at all time for your spiritual health, your mental health, your physical health. What are those categories? Your mental, your physical, your spiritual, and your emotional. That's it. Got it. Boom. I was first time I've ever, whoo, it's because we went so long today, but I am still here rooting for you, pumping my fist on your behalf. I hope that you are doing well and that you are finding yourself in the best emotional, physical, spiritual, and, uh, and, uh, mental state you can possibly be in. Please journey back. Observations is ongoing. This mouth doesn't know how to stop. I will keep it up. And I know that you will find me because we will most certainly, absolutely, you know the deal, inevitably talk again real soon.